0: The following message is brought to you by Baltimore Bible Church. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Uh, thank you so much for uh, having me here today, uh, uh, Baltimore Bible Church. It is my joy and privilege to be with all of you. I come with the greetings of the saints of Grace Community Church. At Wilmington, uh, they send me with their love and affection for you. We are so thankful that the Lord, in His providence, has seen fit for us to be able to be sister churches in the work of gospel ministry. And so, even though most of our people have not met most of your people, we all love you very much. And so we share in the one Lord and Savior, and we're so thankful to share in His work together. I'm always encouraged by this church. I'm especially always encouraged by your pastor. Uh, what, what a gift the Lord has given to this church uh, and, and Pastor George. Uh, you know, it's like what, if somebody asks you, how do you describe George Lawson? Yeah, some of you chuckle at that, right? Well, there's a lot of ways that you could go with, how do you describe George Lawson? Fast, you know, if I tried to speak as fast as him, my tongue would fall out. Uh, where I grew up, you can't, You're if you speak that fast, they'll think you're a traitor, so I can't even try to keep up. Uh, I, when I think of George, I think of that bounce he always has in his step. I mean, he is always on the start line. Ready to go. But more than anything else, if somebody says, what, what, what's the deal with George Lawson? Here's, here's my answer to that. I have never met anyone with a bigger heart than George Lawson. And I am just so thankful that the Lord has redeemed and regenerated that heart. And we have the opportunity to benefit from that. As, as George's friend, all I'm trying to do is just keep up with him and, and what a sanctifying gift that is in my life to have your pastor as my friend. And I trust you recognize what a gift it is to you as a church to have a faithful man like George leading this ministry. And it is a gift. In fact, we see that even in our passage for this afternoon, Ephesians 4. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, you'll have to uh, bear with me. I'll be reading from the ESV, I know uh, normally uh, you, you hear the word from the NAS, it's very close, uh, but, but I'll be reading from the ESV. I want to look together with you at this passage in order to help you to understand a little bit better what the Shepherds Institute is all about. In the Shepherd's Institute, we have three different congregations who have invested resources, time, effort, energy, prayer, all in this goal of training up men for leadership. Why? Why would we do that? Certainly, there are a lot of other things that we could do. Uh, There is no shortage of need in the world in which we live. So, So in the pecking order of priorities... Why would three separate congregations come together and say, we need to join together to invest our resources, our time, our prayers in the work of training up men for ministry? Why do that? Well, if you're going to understand the Shepherds Institute and what it's all about, then you need to understand the importance of leadership in the church. The thing that we see in... a Ephesians chapter 4 is that that Christ in his grace has given the church gifted under shepherds whose ministry is then a means of grace to the whole congregation. Christ gives shepherds to the church as a sanctifying gift for the church. That's the overarching theme that we see in our passage this afternoon. And as a result of that theme, this idea that Christ gifts the church with leaders, one of the things that we have to recognize is that the most important factor in the survival of a church is that church's ability to identify and raise up godly and gifted shepherds. This is a need for the church, and it's a gift given to us by our Savior. Look with me, Ephesians 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. Just note the he here is Christ. Verse 7, it says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it's talking about the grace that Christ has given to the church. What does that include? Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor-teachers, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children... makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I was recently reading a book on leadership written by a Navy SEAL, and this Navy SEAL said, quote, Leadership is the most important thing on the battlefield. In his estimation, there is no more decisive factor in how a battle goes than the leadership of the individuals involved in that battle. And one of the illustrations that he gives for that comes from his days as an instructor in the Navy SEAL school, the BUDS School, the basic underwater demolition school. Uh, you you may be familiar with it. If you're not familiar with it, you still are familiar with it. It's when all the Navy SEALs wannabes are, are running around with the boats over their heads and running into the water and running down the beach, and basically they spend an entire day nonstop running these races together with a boat full or a team of SEALs in training. It's one of the things that you have to do to graduate the school. And during this day, which is maybe the most rigorous day in the entire training, uh, one of the things that the instructors are trying to do is to see where an individual's limits are. And this one Marine who emphasized the importance of leadership said on one occasion there was one particular boat that won every competition. This boat won all the races, boat two. Every time they were the ones that came into first. And, and, and on the other end of the spectrum, there was a boat, boat six. That seemed to always come in last. And after a number of hours of this, boat two had pretty much had it down. Boat six was starting to argue with one another. And the instructors decided they were going to do a little on-the-spot experiment. And so they called the boat leaders from each boat and told the leader from the winning boat, boat two, you're now in charge of boat six. And the leader of the losing boat, you're now in charge of boat two. Now, the leader of boat two no doubt thought, boy, I'm getting a bad deal here. I've got to go to the losing team. But you know what happened? Without any other changes, without a a single other factor changing, the very next competition, you know which boat won? Boat six with the new leader. Of course, it illustrates the importance of leadership. And look, the church is not a platoon of Navy SEALs going into battle. But when it comes to the church, it would be hard to overstate the importance of leadership. The church desperately needs shepherds who can lead and feed the people of God. In fact, the, the importance of leadership amongst the people of God is found throughout the entire Bible. You go to the Old Testament, the, the, the single most decisive factor in the faithfulness of Old Testament Israel is who their leader or who their king is at that time. Go to the New Testament. The single most important priority in the spread of the New Testament church was to identify, appoint, and train up men who could lead the congregation. Even in our own day, the single most influential factor on the faithfulness of a local church is its leadership when when somebody asks me about a church or I'm investigating some other church the very first thing that I do when I go to their website is I click on their leadership tab I don't click on their doctrinal statement because lots of people have awesome doctrinal statements that they routinely ignore I don't I don't click on their marketing campaign because that's what they want me to see about their church I click on the leadership tab, who's the pastor of this church, who are the leaders of this church, where were they trained, where do they come from, who are the leaders, because as go the leaders, so goes the church. So the practical importance of leadership in the church, it's not a surprising thing. In fact, it's exactly how God has designed for it to be. God has designed for faithful shepherds to be a means of grace in the life of the church. That's what our passage in Ephesians 4 is all about. Ephesians 4.11, we won't get into the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, but what I do want to focus on is these pastor teachers, these, these shepherds who lead the church through the ministry of the Word. These are individuals whom God has provided as leaders. These are pastors who are there to shepherd the church. Uh, This, by the way, this gift that Christ gives the church of faithful shepherds, it is a fulfillment of Yahweh's promise in Jeremiah chapter 3. In Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, God says, "'And I will give you shepherds after my own heart.'" who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's what the pastor teacher's job is. The Lord has gifted these individuals and given them to the church so that they can be a blessing to the church. In particular, God has given the church shepherds to be a means of sanctification in the church, to to help you grow in Christ. And notice how this functions, verse 12, these pastor-teachers, what do they do? They do everything so that if you're a member of their church, you don't have to worry about doing anything. That's not what it says, is it? It says their job as... If you got your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You'll have to uh, bear with me. I'll be reading from the ESV, I know uh, normally uh, you you hear the word from the NAS, it's very close, uh, but, but I'll be reading from the ESV. I want to look together with you at this passage in order to help you to understand a little bit better what the Shepherds Institute is all about. In the Shepherd's Institute, we have three different congregations who have invested resources, time, effort, energy, prayer, all in this goal of training up men for leadership. Why? Well, why would we do that? Certainly, there are a lot of other things that we could do, uh, there is no shortage of need in the world in which we live. So, so in the pecking order of priorities, why would three separate congregations come together and say, we need to join together to invest our resources, our time, our prayers in the work of training up men for ministry? Why do that? Well, if you're going to understand the... Shepherds Institute, and what it 's all about, then you need to understand the importance of leadership in the church. See, the thing that we see in Ephesians chapter four is that that Christ, in his grace, has given the church gifted under shepherds, whose ministry is then a means of grace to the whole congregation. Christ gives shepherds to the church as a sanctifying gift for the church. That's the overarching theme that we see in our passage this afternoon. And as a result of that theme, this idea that Christ gifts the church with leaders, one of the things that we have to recognize is that the most important factor in the survival of a church is that church's ability to identify and raise up godly and gifted shepherds. This is a need for the church, and it's a gift given to us by our Savior. Look with me, Ephesians 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. Just note the he here is Christ. Verse 7, it says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So it's talking about the grace that Christ has given to the church. What does that include? Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather... I was recently reading a book on leadership written by a Navy SEAL, and this Navy SEAL said, quote, leadership is the most important thing on the battlefield. In his estimation, there is no more decisive factor in how a battle goes than the leadership of the individuals involved in that battle. And one of the illustrations that he gives for that comes from his days as an instructor in the Navy SEAL school, the BUDS school, the basic underwater demolition school. Uh, you you may be familiar with it. If you're not familiar with it, you still are familiar with it. It's when all the Navy SEALs wannabes are, are running around with the boats over their head and running into the water and running down the beach. And basically, they spend an entire day non-stop running these races together with a boat full or a team of SEALs in training. It's one of the things that you have to do to graduate the school. And during this day, which is maybe the most rigorous day in the entire training, uh, one of the things that the instructors are trying to do is to see where an individual's limits are. And this one Marine, who emphasized the importance of leadership, said on one occasion there was one particular boat that won every competition, this boat won all the races, boat two, every time they were the ones that came into first, and, and on the other end of the spectrum, there was a boat, boat six, that seemed to always come in last, and after a number of hours of this, boat two had pretty much had it down, boat six was starting to argue with one another the instructors decided they were going to do a little on-the-spot experiment. And so they called the boat leaders from each boat and told the leader from the winning boat, boat two, you're now in charge of boat six. And the leader of the losing boat, you're now in charge of boat two. Now the leader of boat two no doubt thought, boy, I'm getting a bad deal here. I've got to go to the losing team. But you know what happened? Without any other changes... Without a, a single other factor changing, the very next competition, you know which boat won? Boat six with the new leader. Of course, it illustrates the importance of leadership. And look, the church is not a platoon of Navy SEALs going into battle, but when it comes to the church, it would be hard to overstate the importance of leadership. The church desperately needs shepherds who can lead and feed the people of God. In fact, the the importance of leadership amongst the people of God is found throughout the entire Bible. You go to the Old Testament, the, the, the single most decisive factor in the faithfulness of Old Testament Israel is who their leader or who their king is at that time. Go to the New Testament. The single most important priority in the spread of the New Testament church was to identify, appoint, and train up men who could lead the congregation. Even in our own day, the single most influential factor on the faithfulness of a local church is its leadership. When when somebody asks me about a church or I'm investigating some other church, the very first thing that I do when I go to their website is I click on their leadership tab. I don't clip on their doctrinal statement because lots of people have awesome doctrinal statements that they routinely ignore. I don't don't click on their marketing campaign because that's what they want me to see about their church. I click on their leadership tab. Who's the pastor of this church? Who are the leaders of this church? Where were they trained? Where do they come from? Who are the leaders? Because as go the leaders, so goes the church. So the practical importance of leadership in the church, it's not a surprising thing. In fact, it's exactly how God has designed for it to be. God has designed for faithful shepherds to be a means of grace in the life of the church. That's what our passage in Ephesians 4 is all about. Ephesians 4.11, we won't get into the apostles, the prophets, the evangelist. But what I do want to focus on is these pastor teachers, these these shepherds who lead the church through the ministry of the Word. These are individuals whom God has provided as leaders. These are pastors who are there to shepherd the church. Uh, this, by the way, this Gift that Christ gives the church of faithful shepherds it is a fulfillment of Yahweh's promise in Jeremiah chapter 3 in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15 God says and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding that's what the pastor teacher's job is The Lord has gifted these individuals and given them to the church so that they can be a blessing to the church. In particular, God has given the church shepherds to be a means of sanctification in the church, to to help you grow in Christ. And notice how this functions, verse 12, these pastor-teachers, what do they do? They do everything so that if you're a member of their church, you don't have to worry about doing anything. That's not what it says, is it? It says their job as leaders in the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. God God has given the church shepherds so that every member of the church can be equipped to fulfill God's call in their life, whatever that call might look like. Shepherds are the ones who are equipping you for ministry. What does it mean to be equipped for ministry? It means to be prepared to function well within the body of Christ. God has given us shepherds in our life, leaders in our life, so that his gifts in our life can be equipped and nurtured and channeled in a way that honors the Lord. And, and, and that's really the goal in all of this, is that the whole church would be benefited from it. As, as we're all equipped and serving the Lord, what happens? The body of Christ is built up, the, the edification of the church. When we talk about the edification of the church, when we talk about the building of the church, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a physical building? Well, no, because then God would have gifted us with architects, right? Is it talking about the numerical growth of the church? Well, no, because then the Lord would have gifted us with marketers, which is what some pastors really are. What is this edification? What is this building up? It's a building up in sanctification, a building up in holiness. It is a growth in the Lord that takes place amongst God's people. That's what Paul's talking about here. Really what Paul is saying is that that Christ has secured a grace for the church and then Specifically, pours out that grace in the life of the church by giving the church faithful shepherds so that the whole body can be equipped to work together for sanctification, holiness, and ministry to the Lord. The edification of the church is the sanctification of each member of the church. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what Christ has gifted these shepherds to the church in order to fulfill. And so in a lot of ways, it would be impossible to quantify the impact and and the blessing of gifted and godly shepherds in the life of the church. However, Paul does identify in this passage two sanctifying results of shepherds in the life of the church. Shepherds are a gift for our sanctification, so what are some of the specific benefits of that? Well, we see two of them in this passage. Uh, first of all, we see in verse thirteen that that through the means of grace, through the ministry of gifted shepherd, comes what we'll call mature sanctification. Mature sanctification. Notice this equipping, this ministry, it's all taking place. And then verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. It's interesting here, Paul uses uh, three different uh, prepositions here. They're all the same preposition. He uses three times to kind of identify three different fruits of this maturity he's talking about. It says, until we all attain first to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son, then to mature manhood, then to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. For Paul, this is what maturity looks like. But before we dive into what this maturity looks like, I just want to show you real quick my favorite word in verse 13. In the ESV, it's the very first word there. It's the word until. Paul could have said If, but instead Paul says, until you reach this maturity. What is that? That's a reminder for us as believers that the Lord will be faithful to us. That that we will see the fruition of this. And along the way, he's going to send all kinds of means of grace into our life, including godly shepherds to help us to get there. But one day, we are going to stand before the Lord. We are going to be perfected in holiness, glorified in his image, and we will reach this complete maturity. Paul didn't say if. He said until. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you these shepherds until you get there to help you along the way. And what are these shepherds going to help us with? Well, for starters, these shepherds are sent to us to help us with what we'll call doctrinal maturity. You want to be mature in your sanctification and your holiness? You want to be a mature believer? You need some doctrinal maturity. That's why Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. When, when, when Paul talks about the faith here, he's talking about the objective Christian faith. What the New Testament teaches. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the truth as it is found in God's Word. And when he talks about having unity in this faith, this unity does not come by ignoring the truth. There are some out there who think that's how you have unity, right? Hey, let's not talk about all this doctrine stuff. Let's not get too deep. Let's just focus on all, what we can all agree on. Jesus good, everything else, you know, bad. Let's not, let's not think any more about it. But, but let me tell you something. That's not how true unity is built. True unity is built when we as God's people come together and say, whatever the Scriptures say, that's what we're going to submit to, and let's get as deep in the Scripture as possible so that my preferences aren't getting in the way of our unity, but instead we're submitting to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. I need to deepen my understanding of the truth so that we can be unified in that. And oh, by the way, that doctrinal unity also, Paul says, leads to a knowledge of the Son of God. You want to know Christ? You need to know His truth. Jesus knew this. In, in, in His prayer on behalf of His disciples, including us, in John 17, 17, Jesus said to His Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How are we going to be sanctified? How are we going to grow in holiness? How are we going to grow closer together? How are we going to grow in our unity? How are we going to grow in our knowledge of Christ as our own personal Savior? It's going to be through the truth. And as our lives are immersed in the truth, what happens is we grow in our doctrinal maturity. We grow in the depth of our faith because we understand what God's Word says, and in that regard, it's the shepherd's job to be feeding the sheep the truth of God so that they can grow in this very doctrinal maturity. A lot of times as a pastor, I get a lot of emails, calls, texts, uh, uh, drop by the office. There's a lot of ways to get a hold of somebody nowadays, uh, uh, And a lot of times, it's questions about, hey, what does this passage mean? And sometimes I'll just say, here's what that means. But usually I'll say, listen, you've got the Holy Spirit. You can use any book in my library you want to. Figure it out. Study it. Then tell me what you've come up with. And then if you're wrong, I'll correct you. You grow in that. You study that. The shepherd has been given to the church to help the church to grow in its maturity around the truth. And and, and not just in this kind of doctrinal maturity, but also in in what I would call a personal maturity. Notice the second clause Paul uses in verse 13. So, So until we attain to the unity of the faith, but then also Paul adds this. To mature manhood to to the place of being a full-grown adult Christian. Baby Christians are a wonderful joy, aren't they? But not if they say that way. We were all baby Christians, right? But the Lord intended for all of us to grow in these things. If you had a child who never grew in their development... If you had a a child who wasn't able to groom themselves or or dress themselves, you would say, well, you know, he's six months old. That's not a problem. But if that persisted, you would say, you know, there's some kind of problem here. There's some kind of issue that needs to be addressed here. Well, in the same way, the, the Lord has designed for us not to stay as babes in Christ, but to grow to spiritual maturity and adulthood. Which means there should be a practical change in the the way we handle ourselves, in the way we handle life, in the way we react to situations, the way we react to relationships. There should be a personal maturity in our lives as believers as we're growing in the Lord. And and really, if you want to define this, what does it mean to grow up and be a a mature believer? I, I think basically... This maturity that Paul is talking about here it is growing in your ability to receive, apply, and pass on the truth. That, that's what a mature believer is. The, the ability to receive the truth. You know, I've, I've, I've had new believers come into my office, and it's like, boy, I, I don't even know where to start because you're not ready to hear this yet. <laughs> you know, turn your Bibles to John 3.16. Let's start there. Right? Right? But as they grow, now all of a sudden they can receive more truth. But then the true mark of maturity isn't the ability to just hear truth and then chew on it and then go record some podcast on it. The the real mark of maturity is to be able to receive the truth and then put it to work in your life, apply it to your life, obey it in your life. But then the next step is not just to receive it and apply it to yourself, but it's then to turn around and help the other person. That's maturity. And that's what a shepherd's job is, to help you grow in that kind of mature Christ-likeness. And boy, this is important. In a culture, that perpetuates adolescence and immaturity, we need a place where people can come to grow up. And that's what the church should be, a place where we can grow up. And the Lord has given us shepherds to help us grow up, to grow in this personal maturity, which leads to the next clause that that paul uses in verse 13 he he defines this maturity even further it's a doctrinal maturity that's that's rooted in the truth of scripture it's a personal maturity as you're putting these things to work in your life but more than anything else the end of verse 13 to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ in other words it's a christ-like maturity The perfect maturity of Christ is the perfect standard of sanctification. There are all kinds of models out there, by the way, about Christian growth and how do you measure Christian growth. Do you measure your growth by performance? Do you measure your growth by desires? How do you measure your growth? You don't need any model other than what the Scripture says. And here's what the Scripture says. You measure your sanctification by Christlikeness. That's it. This is God's plan for our life. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's design in our salvation is that through our sanctification, we would grow into the image of Christ. So, what does maturity look for, like for us? It's Christ likeness. Maturity is measured in the Christian life by the maturity of Christ. By His grace, that's what we attain to. And even as we look at the example of Christ to say, that's what holiness looks like, aren't we thankful for the sacrifice of Christ that pays for our sin when we fall short of that perfect standard? Aren't we thankful for the the, the grace of Christ that frees us of our sins so that we can pursue holiness? Aren't we thankful that this maturity that we diligently and, and, and rigorously pursue, that our salvation doesn't depend upon it? Our salvation depends upon Christ in whom we have believed. He's the one who has saved us, and out of the foundation of that salvation, He's now the one that we are pursuing and as you're pursuing Christ, you know why you have a shepherd in your life? To help you pursue Christ. To help you conform to Christ. To, to help you grow in that personal maturity. To help you go in, uh, grow in doctrinal maturity. How many times have you come away from, especially in this church, how many times have you come away from your pastor's sermon saying, you know, I, I never saw the depth of that passage that way before. Or, or how many times, uh, by, by virtue of the example of your leader's life, uh, have you looked and said, you know what, I never would have thought to order my life in that way or run my family in that way, but I can see the way the Lord is blessing that there. I, I've got to follow that example. The Lord places shepherds in our life for that very reason. And I know this because Ephesians 4 says it, and I also know it because I've lived it on the other side, that there are times in my own life, whether it's my family life, my personal life, my ministry life, or my preaching, where I'll do something and I'll think to myself, that was Doug Shirley, that's my dad, <laughs> faithful shepherd God used in my life. There, there are times when I say or do something, and I'll say, that was Lance Quinn, A faithful shepherd, the Lord used to disciple me. And so on and so forth. The Lord uses shepherds in our life as a means of grace to personally grow us towards mature sanctification. But there's a second point Paul wants us to see in Ephesians 4. It's not just that... Christ gifts us with shepherds so that we can be personally mature, but also, secondly, in verses 15 and 16, we see that Christ gifts us with shepherds for the purpose of mutual sanctification. Mutual. In other words, Paul wants us to see that sanctification is a necessary personal pursuit, but it's not exclusively a personal pursuit, it's a joint effort that we as God's people are all together in. My growth affects your growth. Your growth affects my growth. Through through our union with Christ, we're together, and by God's providence right now in this hour, we're together again, which means my walk with the Lord, this very moment is impacting your walk with the Lord. This is the way Paul saw ministry. He saw it as a, as a personal responsibility, but also a mutual reality. And the formula for Paul is pretty clear. Christ gives these pastor teachers, and then what do they do? They equip the saints for ministry, and then what happens? That ministry results or requires Maturity, and then that maturity begins to spread throughout the entire congregation. That's the progression of Paul's teaching here. In fact, notice the the mutual stability that Paul highlights in verse 14. Paul says, "...so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine." by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, there's a lot that could be said there because there are a lot of deceitful schemes out there that I could warn you about. You probably know about most of them, so I don't need to spend a lot of time on that. But, but notice how Paul frames maturity here. He, ref, he frames up maturity as a stability. Stability. You're not tossed back and forth by by every little thing that you hear. You're not tossed back and forth and fluctuating in your faith by every little circumstance that you face. There's a stability to your life. Why? Because you've trusted the Lord through situations like this already. Yeah, I've seen this before. The Lord got me through it, and he will get me through it this time. What does that lead to? It leads to a stability. And that's what Paul's talking about here. As believers, we should be be growing in maturity. We don't want to be childish, which means, in part, we need to be stable. And and by the way, if you're looking for a a good platform for discipleship, spiritual stability is a really important platform that you need in your life if you want to be effective at serving others. If, if, If any bump in the road can lead you to a spiritual freak out, then how helpful are you gonna be to the other person that you're discipling? If your life is filled with one drama after another that you keep getting caught up in, how much time are you gonna have to invest in the other people that the Lord has brought into your life? There should be a steadiness and a stability to to your maturity so that you can be a blessing to other people. Look, a lot of times, if you want to be an effective discipler, you don't need a great outline. You don't need an 800-page theology book. I mean, if you're in my theology class, you need that. But for discipleship, you don't necessarily need that. A lot of times, all people need is just a stable, mature believer to come along and walk through the situation with them. One of the and at the risk of at the risk of, of of creating emotions that may be unhelpful. One of the 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 neatest, most beautiful illustrations of this I witnessed on Friday at Shireen's funeral, and, and that is as people came up to 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 say their, th- uh, their statements about Shireen. It's an emotional and hard thing. If you've ever had to stand up and speak about the loss of a loved one to a crowd of people, it, it is a unique difficulty. This is no problem. When I preached my grandmother's funeral, a little bit of a problem, right? But as people came up, a family member would just come and stand right next to him. Wouldn't say anything. They weren't doing anything. It was just somebody who was Stable. Right there, it was the presence of somebody stable who allowed them to get through their time of sharing. Well, isn't that a wonderful illustration of what we often need in the Christian life? I just need somebody who's not caught up in all this. I know I shouldn't be. I'm up and down in this. I'm trying to grow. You know what I need? I just need somebody who's not tossed to and fro who can provide me some stability as I hold on to them and they're holding on to Christ. The shepherd's job is to equip you for spiritual maturity so that the church will not be unstable, so that there are stable people in the church. But then also, in addition to this mutual stability, Paul also highlights the mutual discipleship that should be taking place in the church. And you say, Paul never says the word discipleship. You're right, but he describes discipleship in verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. What's that? That's the anatomy of discipleship. The context of discipleship is there, speaking to one another. Relationships. What is discipleship? It's Christians sharing the Christian life with one another. The the content of discipleship is there. In a discipleship relationship, what do you talk about? The truth. You're speaking the truth into one another's life. I I do not want to instill my opinions into your heart. You don't need my opinions. I probably don't need my opinions. I mean, if, if a large part of my Christian life is replacing my opinions with Christ's truth, why would I want to give you my opinions? Well, what do we do in discipleship? We gather around the truth. And how do we do it? We do it in love. Which, by the way, you know this. You're well taught. I don't have to tell you this, I should probably skip it since we're, you know, don't have a ton of time and Pastor Matt wants to say something too, but I'll say it anyway. Love here is not some sappy sentimentalism, love is preferring the good of someone else over your own good. So when I speak the truth in your life, I'm not doing it so I can win an argument, so I can look good, or so I can make you look bad, I'm doing it for your benefits. That's discipleship. It's not selfish, it's not to win an argument, it's motivated by the good of others and it culminates in the Christ-likeness of others. That's discipleship. And, and, And what is a shepherd's job to do? It's to equip you so that you'll be spiritually stable enough to lovingly speak the truth into other people's life. That's the job of a shepherd. And when a shepherd is doing these things and a congregation is receiving these things and and, and mutually stable and, and mutually discipling one another, you know what happens? Mutual growth. Verse 16 says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is a very confusing sentence in English, uh, I, I should have checked the NAS, I apologize for that, maybe less confusing than the NAS, uh, but it's a confusing sentence in English because it is a very confusing sentence in Greek as well. But just to simplify it, the whole body at the beginning of verse 16, that's the subject of the sentence and then, when you get down to the bottom of the sentence, where it says the word "grow," that's the verb. So, so the whole body creates the growth, so that the church is building itself up in love. Everything else are modifiers here. And there's a lot that we could say about this, but what we have to say about this is that, from Paul's perspective, a church that is well shepherded. Is a church that will be a mutual means of grace in one another's life. What does that mean? It means it will be a church that is helping one another to grow in the Lord. God designed for us to most effectively grow in our sanctification when we are profferedly joined together as believers. In fact, it's interesting. It says, from whom the whole body joined and held together. This is actually masonry language, not Masonic language. That's a different thing. The <laughs> language of masonry. You take a stone. You build things with the stone. But in order to build something with stone, what do you often have to do? You have to chisel it and once you've done all this work to, to, to make this stone into a perfect building implement, you don't leave it sitting in the middle of the yard and say, look how nice that is. What do you do? You put it in with the rest of the building. Whatever, you put in a wall together, you take this stone, and you put it in there, and you say, oh, this doesn't quite fit. So you hammer out a little piece of it so that it all fits together just the way the architect designed it. Do you see the picture that Paul is painting for our sanctification? All those ways in which the Lord is chiseling away at the hardness of our heart, it's not just for our own personal growth. It's so that I'll fit together better with you so that we can serve the Lord together. Really, if you wanted to sum up verse 16 and really dive into the grammar of it, what what Paul is saying here is that we grow with the body, We're joined and held together. Also, we grow for the body. When each part is working properly, your growth is for the good of your brothers and sisters. But then also, we grow because of the body. All of this together makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The Lord pours out his grace into the church through the ministry of a godly and gifted shepherd so that as the congregation receives that shepherding, the congregation then becomes a mutual means of grace in the lives of one another. And what do you have? You just have grace everywhere. Or maybe to put it this way, the shepherd's job is to equip you believer so that you won't hold back the growth of the rest of the church. Look, I've never been on the battlefield, so I cannot personally confirm that leadership is the most important thing on a battlefield. However, I have spent a lot of time in the church and a lot of time in texts like Ephesians 4, so I can tell you that leadership is the most influential factor in the life of the local church Leadership is the most important factor in the survival of the church, which is why the church must be able to identify and raise up gifted shepherds. God has ordained for shepherding to be a vital means of grace in the sanctification of God's people. That's why the Shepherds Institute exists. That's why we train men. And even as I prepare to hand off the pulpit to my brother Matt in just a moment, let me take a brief moment to just pray for that training that goes on. Lord, we thank you so much for the clarity of this text and the gift of godly shepherds. Lord, may we be equipped and fitted in such a way that we can identify and train up shepherds who can be a means of grace in our lives. Lord, we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs and digital files.